You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Tonight for you, ladies and gentlemen, what a busy show. The powers that be never leave us lacking for content. Welcome to TPC. James Edwards along with Keith Alexander this Saturday evening, August the 5th, Year of Our Lord 2023. We are doing our Charlottesville retrospective tonight, six years after the fact. We don't always do a Charlottesville anniversary show. I think we've done it once, maybe twice over the course of the past six years. But tonight we're doing it because, well, it's back in the news. Peaceful protesters are once again being arrested for exercising their constitutionally guaranteed rights of free speech and assembly six years after the fact. And for that reason, among others, we're going to, we are going to look back on the anniversary of that historic and fateful day uh, with the man who organized it himself, Mr. Jason Kessler. Uh, later on in the program tonight, you'll hear from Dr. Michael Hill, who was also there, and Ann Wilson-Smith, who literally wrote the book about it, uh, the author of Charlottesville Untold, Inside Unite the Right. Dr. Hill and Ann Smith will join the conversation in our second hour. But first, let's say hello again to our friend and journalist, Jason Kessler. Jason, how are you? I'm doing great. Great to be back on the program. Thanks for having me. It's always good to talk to you, and it's it's great to have you here tonight. Now, we all know uh, about what happened at Charlottesville on August the 12th, 2017. We know what happened that day, what happened uh, in the immediate aftermath, and in the prolonged aftermath, things that are still happening as we speak this evening. But I'd like to go back, if I could, Jason, to six years ago tonight. Uh, six years ago tonight, let's... Focus on where things stood for you and the event itself on the evening of August the 5th, 2017, exactly one year prior to the event. That was right around the time you made your first appearance on the political cesspool. What were you doing six years ago tonight? What were you expecting? Well, uh, if I can remember this correctly, I believe we, we had a number of things going on. Uh, the one that the public was most aware of was our First Amendment fight because uh, right in the days leading up to the event itself, the city of Charlottesville tried to cancel the permit, you know, and so it was uh, just a, a hasty, speedy scramble to find an attorney. I remember uh, a number of people, uh, Richard Spencer, for instance, suggesting I reach out to the ACLU, and I did that. I reached out to them on Twitter and a direct message, and they got back to me and were willing to take the case. Uh, I was also working with the uh, the movement attorney Kyle Bristow, and um, and also Sam Dixon uh, informally, and uh, yeah, that was the scramble. Uh, we had our uh, organization online and Discord uh, chat room, and I remember there. You know, these, these are important lessons, really, for anybody who'd want to uh, organize in the right. But you know, I mean, it was not so united the whole time. There were lots of people fighting for different <laughs> reasons, and. And so it was putting out fires like that. You know, it, the, the media has depicted the event as being like uh, a Nuremberg rally or something. But, you know, the, the way that I was trying to conceive of it was very, very optical. Um, and, you know, so a lot of it was trying to get people to, uh, you know, uh, have good uh, streamlined messaging. 
And Jason, you had a big legal victory literally in the 11th hour and 59th minute of uh, the event right before uh, the day itself. The courts came through for you, astonishingly so, and, and with an assist from the ACLU. Yeah, it's maybe one of the last uh, big civil rights, quote unquote, victories that uh, the true right will ever get in this country. I think that uh, once they pulled the rug out from under us on that, you know, they decided they would never do it again. But uh, at the time, yeah, it was a huge victory. And it seemed like we were being set up to really take um, the right wing to a new level of exposure and power within the country to give unprecedented visibility for uh, what you could call a white civil rights movement and for bringing light to the fact that our uh, European American history was under attack. Jason, let me ask you one thing, and uh, I want to get Keith involved in this. He's ready with the question. But just for the audience, for the people who are unaware, what did the court or the judge decide in that last moment before the morning of the event? Well, they decided that the uh, our civil rights had been violated, that um, the city of Charlottesville was refusing to grant us a permit for the assembly purely based on the content of our speech. And the reasoning of the judge was basically that the city of Charlottesville had denied us our permit, and yet they granted a permit for Antifa and far left demonstrators in a park that used to be called uh, Jackson Park after Stonewall Jackson. They changed it to Justice Park, uh, but they granted the permit for Justice Park. Same scenario, just the political beliefs were different. So for this judge, it couldn't have been uh, any clearer that the only discrepancy was our political beliefs and the numerous statements that the uh, the black vice mayor and the Jewish uh, mayor had made hostile to our events couldn't have made it any clearer. Jason, this is Keith. Um, see, I'm old enough. I remember the run-up to the Martin Luther King March in Memphis that preceded uh, his assassination. I remember how the civil rights lawyers for the black protesters at that time went to the federal court. The city's officials went put on their case, and there was a decision, and there was never any uh, idea that somehow they would disregard what the uh, court said or try to come in there at the last minute and pull the rug out. Uh, which is what happened to you guys. Let me ask you this. Did you think that this was going to be uh, just like the civil rights movement and that you were going to be able to uh, uh, protest without the, uh, you know, the media and the government basically doing everything they could to uh, prevent you from exercising your First Amendment rights? Well, at the time, I was a total neophyte to right-wing politics. I didn't know about the revisionist history on different things, including the so-called civil rights era, World War II. And I, you know, I came from a mainstream public education background. And I was told that we didn't pay attention to the color of people's skin. And, you know, I saw all this, uh, these attacks on white people, and I thought, well, the stuff that Martin Luther King and these other civil rights leaders were doing in the 60s should apply to us. 
It is a logic and it is a morality that all Americans have accepted. So if we do this event, Unite the Right, you know, in, in, when it's so clear that um, there is anti-white racism in the country behind the removal of these statues, then, um, you know, the, the public will embrace us and the law will, you know, uphold our rights. And uh, I think that one of the most important things about Charlottesville that people should understand is, you know, like it, it was a, a loss of innocence for the right wing because I was not the only one who believed that our rights still mattered in America. This was a, a, a tidal shift in uh, how the law is applied to right wing dissidents. Uh, not only because the ACLU backed away from defending people like us after Charlottesville, but because the courts have become uh, even more prejudiced and hostile. Uh, we can't seem to get a, a, a civil rights or a free speech victory anywhere to save our lives now. And so the, the whole legacy of the quote unquote civil rights movement um, has been exposed as a fraud and a lie. Absolutely. That is a great point. Great question and great point. Jason, Well, listen, folks, it's not every show that we get to talk with someone who is living and currently in the history books. I mean, the event that Jason planned, the Unite the Right, uh, August the 12th, 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia, is an event that is in the history books. Uh, so we, you know, that's that cannot be overstated. But I want to ask you two quick questions and as quickly as you can answer them because we have a lot of things to talk about. We are skipping the floater breaks this hour. Uh, we're going to take the hard break at the bottom of the hour, but we're trying to maximize our time with Jason on the six-year anniversary of Charlottesville. We need to speed up and get to where things stand now with the latest arrest. But Jason, two questions, and I'll ask them both at once. You take one after the other. Number one, what did you hope to accomplish with that event? in Charlottesville, and how did you think the day would ultimately go? Well, I wanted to start a white civil rights movement, and I, I feel like with the energy that was there at the time with uh, uh, Trump and the, the, the growing uh, awakening of white Americans as a discrete voting block in the United States, that that was a possibility. People were becoming more aware of the hostility directed against white people and their need to organize as a group. And I feel like if the government had not um, used such draconian repressive measures to shut that event down, we would have succeeded. It, it would have been the, the start of something amazing. But I, and and uh, what was the second question? How did you think the day would ultimately go? I mean, obviously, no one could have foreseen what ultimately happened. We're going to talk about that next, so don't get no. into what happened. But how did you think the day would go as you woke up on that morning? Well, I thought the police were going to show up and escort us and do their job. I mean, a federal judge had ordered them to do that and that we were all going to give our speeches. And it was going to be glorious because as the United States Constitution um, you know, says, the, the people who didn't want to hear us would have to stay there and listen to it, whether they liked it or not. And so that would have been glorious to have these crybabies have to listen to our uh, what they call, quote unquote, hate speech. Um, as we know, unfortunately, that's not the way it turned out. Now, you planned this whole event in response to the planned removal of the majestic equestrian monument to 
uh, the great Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Now, was that just a reason to get together for a grander cause, or how much did that actually play into what you wanted to accomplish that day to make people reconsider, to uh, thrust that conversation into the national debate? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, it was the Confederate monuments first. First, they came for the Confederate monuments. But also, you know, on August 11th, the night before, we marched to the uh, statue of Thomas Jefferson. And, you know, like the, people are now familiar with this iconic, you know, statue of Robert E. Lee that is now being violated by this black history, uh, <laughs> they, this black cultural center in Charlottesville, which is melting it down. But, um, you know, people are so aware of it as an iconic thing. But for me, it was very real. Like, I went to the library next to this statue for years and would pick up books and sit under the shade of the tree and look at this statue. And, you know, as racially charged as everything surrounding this event and the statue is now, there were people, uh, you know, all the racial groups that lived in Charlottesville would go through this park and it was not a lightning rod until the left started to put their That's hate right. onto this poor statue of Robert E. Lee. Now, let me ask you this. We're going to bring Keith back on. Keith, I believe you can testify to that as well. We had the, not just the equestrian monument to Nathan Bedford Forrest here in Memphis, but also the grave of the general himself, which has now been, been dug. It's just yes, ghoulish, right. ghoulish, but it never caused problem. It was an entirely manufactured media crisis, but Jason, now we proceed to uh, the day it, uh, itself. When did you know that the powers that be, the local and state politicians and law enforcement, had set you up to fail, that you were walking into a trap? What were the first signs of they trouble? They weren't going to play fair. It happened so fast that I, I really didn't <laughs> truly comprehend what had happened until it was over with. But there were two key moments. Number one, we showed up at a nearby park where the police were supposed to meet us, uh, where we were going to get our escort, and there were no police in sight whatsoever. And ominously, there were empty prison buses all around, like they were about to, you know, they were prepared to just load us all up and throw us in prison. Uh, and then when we went to the site anyway, you know, to the permitted protest area around Lee Park in downtown Charlottesville, um, you know, I, I didn't see any police uh, separating the protesters and the counter protesters. And that was, you know, um, gasoline and fire together. <laughs> they that was it, the one thing that they had to prevent to keep violence from breaking out. And when I saw that that wasn't happening, you know, all bets were off. I mean, God knows. I mean, I put these combustible elements together uh, because, for the intention of creating a spectacle, a controversial spectacle, but it, it was predicated on the fact that we live in a, a society with responsible adults, the police departments and government officials that aren't going to let people get hurt, but they did, they did it on purpose because they hated our, um, our beliefs and our speech that badly. Well, what they did Jason, I, we, I remember covering it, and we called it a kill box. They basically had one way in and one way out for you, and both ways were through a mob of Antifa thugs. Now, I can remember back at the Selma Bridge where the uh, highway patrol was trying to block the protesters from coming out across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but 
what people don't realize about that is that the authorities, the courts, had said that they didn't have permission to go down there further. See, this is what is, uh, you guys had, you know, the authority and the uh, permission of the courts to be there, and you were expecting the police to protect you the way that the police protected civil rights workers back in the civil rights era. But that was not in the cards. All of that, that, that shows that the whole civil rights movement was a fraud. It was based on the lawfulness of the people who were opposing the civil rights protesters to follow the law. Uh, there are no principles, I don't think, nowadays that the left is willing to acknowledge or to honor that would allow their opponents to have a peaceful protest. They will do anything within their power, uh, including uh, of defying the courts or coming in, you know, at the last minute and getting the rescission <laughs> of a, a, an order. There's nothing that the left won't do to win. They have they're totally without principle, I think, now. Um, well, I don't think I don't <laughs> that's not much to, yeah, you're thinking right, Keith, uh, and it's no illusion and I, I, I scoffed at it, not scoffed, but I chuckled uh, listening to you speak because this is something we're going to cover. We were originally going to spend the entire three hours talking with people who were there on the ground that day, but we had to carve out one hour. Our third hour is going to be dedicated to the most recent uh, indictment and arrest of Donald Trump. I mean, they're doing it to the President of the United States now. They've come a long way in six years, but Jason, you, comment on anything you heard uh, Keith say that you'd like to uh, speak to um well i think that uh, just for a second the uh charges against trump are directly related to what uh what happened in charlottesville i agree ongoing. i so agree arrest you know the the, le the left is totally weaponized the courts uh they don't give um they don't give a care at all for the good of the country because if presidents break the law all the time you know absolutely they, they they let them slide on little things because they don't want to destroy the fabric of the society and for a similar reason you know the free speech rights have been sacrosanct the safety of the public has been sacrosanct and they threw that out the window it's it's really an incredible situation that we have right now. And um, in, in my view, um, the Justice Department is, is uh, cracking down on us in uh, a way which is very much like well, well, just, the, the just think about this, police Jason. of a communist nation. And not just the yeah. courts, but the law enforcement agencies themselves, Keith. Well, just imagine if six years after the fact, the Justice Department was arresting protesters at the Selma uh, <laughs> Civil Rights uh, March or at the Memphis Civil Rights March or at the one in Oxford, Mississippi. You never saw that type of retribution being visited upon the other side. So it's and, obvious and the really that we're playing a game where the rules are heads I win, tails you lose. But we need to remember these rules now, the rules that have, that, that have been enacted against us, and if and when, and I believe we are heading towards an event that may reshuffle the deck here in America, and if and when that day comes, we should remember the rules that they set for us, and we should apply them when the shoe is on the other foot once again, Jason. The, the really evil thing, the most insidious thing is when an innocent person is convicted of something that they didn't do, when somebody lies That's to right. send that person to prison. And, and it, so it's even worse than these people set a trap for us. What they did 
and their lying uh, friends in the media helped them with it, is they covered up the evidence. They were like dirty cops, you know, hiding a gun, planting a, a fingerprint, because they, they hid all evidence of the Antifa attacking us. They hid all evidence that we had a permit. You know, when they hid all the evidence that we repeatedly asked the police to separate protesters. And that's the reason there was violence there. But then they want to go back and having hidden all those things, say the violence was because the right wing people were bloodthirsty and wanted to attack innocent people. And then they start rounding them up and putting them in jail over this, this lie. And they even made up events just like they did, you know, with World War II when they're trying to create uh, this narrative about how evil the Germans were. They invented whole cloth things like counter protesters or protesters with torches surrounding a church, which was full of like left wing preachers and uh, and, you know, uh, Jewish rabbis and stuff did not happen. Totally fake. And newspapers ran with stuff like that. Well, you know, after Charlottesville, they had a similar type of protest in Shelbyville, Tennessee, where the police actually did separate the two groups, the protesters and the anti-protesters, and it went off without a hitch. And that's exactly what would have happened at Charlottesville if the police had done their job, if the governmental authorities had done their job. We're coming up on the one break that we have to take this hour. We normally have four breaks per hour, four segments. Uh, but we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we're going to pick up right there with the law enforcement, or lack thereof, at Charlottesville as we uh, remember that event with the man who planned it on this its sixth anniversary. Stay tuned. Exposing corruption, informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Barmash. A federal judge is giving former President Trump until Monday to respond to special counsel Jack Smith's motion for a protective order. Smith filed the motion Friday night after Trump posted on Truth Social, If you go after me, I'm coming after you. The post appeared one day after Trump was indicted on four counts related to his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Smith wrote in his filing that public posts by the former president about the case could have a harmful chilling effect on witnesses or adversely affect the fair administration of justice. The former president has until 5 p.m. Eastern to respond. I'm Julie Ryan. Sixteen people are injured after a Greyhound bus overturned on I-75 in Georgia. The accident happened on the southbound side of the interstate near Forsyth, about an hour south of Atlanta. The accident remains under investigation. A Texas judge is ruling in favor of a group of women and their doctors who sued the state over its abortion ban. The Travis County judge on Friday temporarily blocked Texas officials from enforcing the state's abortion ban against women who have pregnancy complications. A massive operation that authorities say made billions of spam calls is hit with a major fine. The largest robocall network that the United States has ever investigated is accused of calling over a half billion phone numbers during just three months in 2021 making more than 5 billion calls for auto warranty scams. The FCC has fined the operation a record $300 million for violating U.S. telecom laws. I'm Jeremy Scott. The daughter of the late Lisa Marie Presley is now the sole trustee of her mother's estate, 
A Los Angeles judge approved Riley Keough as head of what the family calls the Promenade Trust. Lisa Marie Presley died on January 12th at the age of 54. This is USA News. Keeping your kids safe is a full-time job. Whether it's putting on outlet covers, installing child gates, or gluing down your priceless face. So Duracell made one part of childproofing simple. Our lithium coin batteries are the only ones coated in a non-toxic bitterant to help discourage swallowing. Your kid is safer, and you've got one less thing to worry about. Or glue down. Duracell. Engineered for more. Available in 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like choosing Derek Jeter as the pinch hitter for your baseball team. Jeter, you're in. We need a home run. I'll give it a try. I've swung a bat once or twice. That's out of here. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, with Jason Kessler himself. Jason is known by history as the man who organized the Night the Right Rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, on August the 12th, 2017. But the people who really organized it all were the mayor and the police chief who uh, worked behind the scenes to basically frustrate any efforts uh, made by the protesters to have their protest uh, become, you know, be a peaceful ordinary well, they certainly, civil rights protest. Certainly took advantage of it, but he was the one who organized the event that they took advantage of and that they subverted. But he's much more than just the organizer of Unite the Right. He is a journalist. You can find his bylines all over the place, including uh, VDARE. He's also an honest man and my friend, and I do believe in closing ranks and standing shoulder to shoulder with the people who uh, have suffered these injustices by the system. Uh, in fact, people who have suffered such injustice, it makes me want to stand by them all the more. Jason, it's hard to imagine now. Well, first of all, let me just say this very quickly. We've gotten a few emails. Why not cover this on August the 12th? That was the anniversary of Charlottesville, and next Saturday happens to be August the 12th. Well, the reason we're doing it a week early, for those of you who have asked, is because we'll be at Amron next week and uh, doing the live broadcast from there, so we're doing it tonight. Uh, Jason, hard to imagine, though, now uh, that white dissidents could have ever believed that we could exercise our constitutionally protected rights of speech and assembly on the public square with the permit, uh, as anyone in this country is supposed to be able to do. It's hard to imagine that now, but six years ago tonight, uh, it hadn't happened yet because Charlottesville was an unprecedented situation. What Hope was, springs eternal. Well, what was your, you, we were talking about this before the break, the complete disregard of their duty by the law enforcement. Uh, what is your reaction as you're standing there, you're watching this whole, whole thing unravel you're watching police officers stand by and allow antifa and blm terrorists to waylay into the people who were permitted to be there i, I mean I, that had to be an astonishing thing to witness i yeah i mean i did not believe that it was happening until the moment we were kicked out of the park i went into the park myself and there were state police uh, virginia state police around the speaking area. And since I was the permit holder and one of the speakers, I thought I would be entitled to go into the speaking area. And so I went up to the 
um, you know, Virginia State Police. And I said, hey, let me in. I'm Jason Kessler. My name is on the permit. And they wouldn't allow it. They said only the Charlottesville police can authorize that. And I looked around and I said, there are no Charlottesville police anywhere. That's the problem. And so I, I was just left in the lurch trying to figure out what was going on. And the moment we saw the cowardly Charlottesville police show up, they marched in a column with their megaphone and said, this, uh, this site has been declared an unlawful assembly. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was just in shock because we'd come from the high of this federal court victory. We were on the precipice of creating. Literally the night before, Jason, literally the night before the court says. Literally the night before this victory came through that they were bound to uh, bound by and they complete. So obviously, I mean, this is a true conspiracy that all of these law enforcement agencies had received their marching orders from someone. Now, did the federal yes. court that had granted you permission earlier, were they the ones that rescinded it? The same judge or someone different? It never got rescinded. No, it never got rescinded. It's just that they there was no enforcement mechanism, as incredible as that sounds, you know, because that's you the know, thing, we, Keith, yeah. our attorneys dropped us. The ACLU dropped us, refused to, you know, support us uh, so that we could file something in court to to get some kind of payback for what they'd done. And I spent years spending my own money, tens of thousands of dollars to try and punish these people in court and uphold our rights and in the end you know i learned that apparently judges can just decide whatever they want they can one judge can say you, you know police can't stand there and watch as people get beaten up and then use that as an excuse to disband a lawfully permitted rally you know and then another judge like the one that's in charlottesville for instance can say yes they can the police have no duty whatsoever to uphold free speech of course who was that have, other judge uh, that and injected himself into that well the original judge i don't recall his name he was a george uh, w bush appointee and then the the guy who refused to uphold our rights after the fact was uh, Judge Norman Moon, the Bill Clinton appointee, who was also the judge in uh, the Signs v. Kessler case. This, this uh, Democrat appointee was basically brought in to just screw us over in every single case, uh, you know, determining the aftermath of Charlottesville. See, that's another thing that never happened in the Civil Rights Movement. You never had one federal judge overruling another in this. All right, let, let me ask you this. What, uh, let, let's speed things up uh, as we move deeper into this hour. Uh, I, well, let me ask you this very quickly, Jason. Just what were your personal eyewitness recollections as we, uh, as we are now to this point in the day where you are informed that uh, even though a court order has come in, the law enforcement officials, the Virginia State Troopers and the city of Charlottesville law enforcement, amongst other agencies, I presume, are not going to abide by the court order. They are moving you out. This was all orchestrated by someone, whether it be Governor, uh, then Governor Terry McCullough or or the Charlottesville locals or who knows, uh, or perhaps all of them and then some. But w what did you see after the mayhem ensued? What, I mean, because we, we have talked to so many people over the years who had been beaten and throttled and, and had witnessed all sorts of horrors. Uh, what did you personally witness as you tried to then exit the area? 
Uh, I I marched in a column of people. Uh, I I I. I had my blinders on partly because I was concerned about getting people out of there to safety because once the police had made that determination, I knew that it wasn't lawful for us to be there anymore. I know some people like Eric Stryker, you know, had a uh, tactic of civil disobedience and wanted to stay there. And, you know, like I can understand why people would want to do that too. But I, I felt like, you know, we were in the right legally and that our we would eventually be vindicated in court i didn't want people to get arrested so i was encouraging people let's get out of here let's go to mcintyre park i remember people in uh, uh cars in charlottesville just you know slowing down and stopping to heckle us and one one car was so uh focused on us and yelling out the windows at us they rear-ended somebody <laughs> in front of them uh it was just absolute chaos it, it felt like uh you know the sacking of a city or something the energy was just electric and people you know <laughs> uh, people had lost touch with their senses on that day well i think you can look at it now and say pretty clearly they didn't want any sort of spark to be lit they wanted to shut down any form of righteous protest they wanted to allow violence to happen and then allow the victims to be blamed for the they violence. wanted to teach people on our side that you cannot depend on the same safeguards that the people uh prosecuting the civil rights movement had depended upon and if yeah and if you do uh, depend on that then uh, we will bankrupt you we may even send you to jail uh, what or, or prison for years might even kill you. How has Charlottesville been used, Jason, by the system? What's its fallout and legacy as we stand tonight? Well, of course, it's always going to continue to be used to attack uh, Trump, and it's used as this um, scary quasi-religious uh, event for the left wing. You know, in the same way that they they pick their uh, personages to turn into. Satan characters, like you cannot discuss Adolf Hitler in any kind of uh, rational way as a historical personage, you, you know, you have to immediately um, declare your hatred for him because, you know, he, he was evil incarnate. Um, in a similar way, you know, anytime Charlottesville is brought up, it's like people have to uh, immediately uh, espouse how angry and offended they are about it. And, you know, those people who went there were just terrible, you know, and it's, a, and it's almost like such an extreme reaction that it's used as a rationale for why uh, true free speech cannot be allowed because, oh, then you're going to get people like Charlottesville, you know. Uh, but, of course, what happened in Charlottesville is a myth. It's a, it's a total myth, you know, everything about it from the fact that there were a bunch of peaceful students surrounding the Thomas Jefferson statue on August 11th when it was radical Antifa. I mean, you had a guy, Paul Minton, who was convicted, not charged, convicted, uh, abuse of a corpse for hiding the body of a murder victim. You had a convicted domestic terrorist, uh, Brent Betterly there, who, who planned to bomb the home of Rahm Emanuel d during a uh, uh, WHO meeting. You know, uh, it, it, uh, I, I, the, Jason, these were Jason, very to, dangerous. To your people. point, uh, to your point, to your point that it wasn't the Unite the Right side, the people who were going there to defend the Lee Monument, 
uh, a true American hero from being disgraced and dishonored and taken down. It wasn't them. It was the other side, the side that the media has claimed to be the peaceful protesters that was responsible for the violence, that was responsible for the violence. And don't take our word for it, Jason. Two words. You tell me what it is and why it's significant. The two words are Heathy Report. Yeah, this was a uh, supposedly, you know, an unbiased report that the city of Charlottesville commissioned from former federal prosecutor Tim Heafy. And he was going to look at all the evidence, all the documents, all the communications, including stuff that the public has never been able to see because basically uh, these public officials wipe their hard drives after the fact, which doesn't speak well to their, uh, their innocence in these matters. Uh, but, you know, he concluded that this was a know, guy, a former federal Bill. prosecutor that the city, the city hired the city. This was their guy. And he and he came back with honest findings, the likes of which you very rarely see. But and, let, let, let's let Jason indicting the government of bad faith. It was, I mean, it wasn't like this was it wasn't like, OK, we hired a guy or one of our friends wrote a report. No, this was the city of Charlottesville guy. But pardon the interruption, Jason, continue on with his findings. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this guy is a Democrat, you know, it, it, there's no two ways about it. Uh, but he and, and they, the Democrats hired him again after this to work on a J6 report. So he's one of their guys. But even so, he found that the city had failed in their obligations to keep the peace and uphold free speech rights. And I think he did a, an admirable job in that report. But of course, the media just covered it up. You know, it was part of the cover up. The blood lie. It didn't fit the narrative. The people who went to this event. You have a one, probably, perhaps the last living honest liberal I mean, in the world, and he gives this report, which is like manna from heaven. Really, a modern and, and day it's miracle. Totally disregarded. Modern day miracle. Yeah, Keith, it's a modern day miracle. It doesn't fit the narrative, and so it's memory hold. Uh, but my God, had he written what they wanted him to write, this fictitious version and accounting of events, uh, it would have been the thing used to hang everybody. But you know, even even though you had this uh, report from their guy, which is supposed to be the definitive uh, settling of accounts. It hasn't stopped them. It hasn't stopped them from going after people. Now, six years after the fact, you're seeing arrests. Uh, and it should be reminded of people that lighting a tiki torch uh, wasn't against the law in Charlottesville in 2017. Uh, marching on, a, a, on public property, a, a public university, wasn't against the law. Uh, but now, six years later, and I know you've had some a, a changing of the guard. You got a new DA in, and he promised he ran a campaign promising to go after the people who were at the Unite the Right. But why now, in your opinion, Jason, six years later, are you seeing arrests that didn't happen Six days, six weeks, six months right, after. When you had nothing similar to that happen to the protesters at Selma or Memphis back in the Civil Rights era. Well, I, I think we, we get why that is. You had honest people in charge of things back then. You have dishonest people now. It's a, a totally, it's apples and oranges. But, but why now, uh, Jason, six years, these people facing five years in prison for, I don't even know, light, they're, they're going back to arcane uh, laws, uh, antiquated laws, uh, lighting an object with the intent to intimidate. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. But well, you're the guest. Tell you, us. You, you know, I could only make an educated guess, but uh, two things that come to the top of my head. First of all, they probably have more names of people now because, you know, these people on the other side, the uh, the leftists, the Antifa, they 
and the, the government uh, officials who are doing the prosecutions, they're obsessed with the people who went to Charlottesville. They cannot let it go. There are people who solicit donations on Patreon and whatnot. Who This is all they focus on every single day. And they've, they've doxxed and identified all these people who went to Charlottesville. And the dangerous thing about these Antifa is that they, they work hand in glove with people in the FBI and these local prosecution offices. And I'm pretty confident that somebody who is an admirer of uh, some of these Antifa who are doing the doxing, you know, is in the DA's office uh, and because their level of knowledge of uh, some of these people who are not movement leaders, they're just normal people who showed up to a protest, and they have this obsessive knowledge of these people that they would only get from the people who are obsessed with it, and that's Antifa. Uh, the other thing is, is I think that they are, um, they are inspired by the J6 prosecutions where the government basically cast this extremely wide net and decided we are not just going to go after a few bad offenders like somebody who punched a cop. We're going to go after completely nonviolent protesters and we are going to throw the book at them and we're going to create a sense of terror in people. We want them to be afraid because even if they were nonviolent, even if it's years later and they've moved on with their life, it doesn't matter if they apologize. It doesn't matter. We're going to track them down and we want them all to know and see it. So this guy saw this happen to J6 and he thought, well, that's a wonderful idea. I want to create terror in these people that I hate. And so I'm going to track them down, regardless of whether they were a nonviolent protester or not, regardless of whether the law is clear or not. This is a ridiculous interpretation of a law. It's supposed to be um, well, what, what a is happening, Jason, of is a KKK this. law for burning a cross-burning statue. Basically, it right, says exactly. you can't they, they burn have an facial object. recognition. Uh, they have they have facial recognition hardware now, and they can look at all of these things. And you're right; they decided they've done such a job of basically terrorizing everybody that had anything to do with the J6 event that they're going to do the same thing with the Tiki Torch uh, march that preceded. The Charlottesville, uh, you know, melee that they had uh, on August twelfth uh, of twenty seventeen. They they basically sending the message out to all right wingers: do not participate in any type of peaceful protest because if you do, we will film the whole thing. We will eventually track you down to the ends of the earth. It's like, uh, uh, you know, Doctor Frankenstein uh, being followed by Fra the Frankenstein's monster all the way to the North Pole and whatnot in the uh, uh, that Mary Shelley <laughs> novel. See, they basically, see, nothing like this happened to people in the 60s that were protesting for civil rights. Uh, this is just, you know, th this is such a... So-called. Uh, yeah, th th this is just such an about-face and a lack of equal justice and fair play, the people need to bring that up and they need to say, you know, this is 
you know, the left does not play fair. Let's get that determined, right? You know, that, that, that should be number one on everybody's agenda. You don't play fair. If they don't play fair, then there are no rules. Well, basically. I think we know they don't. I don't think anybody needs to be reminded of that after, after well, Sherman. No, well, the thing is, it's just. Not anymore. Every, every look night, at Trump. Yeah, they, they're just. Look, the, nothing like that ever. The, now, the right never did anything like that to other people. Now, I, I think you could say, Jason, the that analogy, certainly they're going after these people now to, to stifle dissent. But, yeah, go ahead. First of all, I think that if somebody is listening to this who went to Charlottesville, keep your morale. Be proud. Do not focus on what is happening at this moment. Think about what is going to happen in uh, 20, 50, 100 years from now when your ancestors here, here. or other here, white here. people are looking back at this period, which is the most – awful period for our people that has ever existed and they look at the cowardice and the retreating who stood up for them it was the people in charlottesville that is abundantly clear that they stood up without retreat you know without any kind of fear for what the establishment was going to do to them unapologetically and and so we can be proud of that but second it's not even about the civil rights thing. That was a mistake. It was a smokescreen because we thought we had civil rights. We never did. As far as the left is concerned, this is war. Why is it war? It's because they're taking political prisoners. And that's what you do to a dissident group that you are at war with. And so people should not feel like they did something wrong or that they're bad people if they end up being the victim of a political prosecution uh, it, because the people who are punishing you and trying to make you feel bad about yourself are evil people. They're breaking their own rules. They're changing the law to lock people up for things that weren't illegal when it happened. It's, it's naked abuse of power. And so I, I say, keep your head up. You did the right thing and you should be proud of yourself. Well, see that they're trying to chill the expression of First Amendment rights by people on the right. No kidding. <laughs> that is, that's the whole purpose of it. And it no reminds kidding. me of the Italian socialist Vilfredo Prado's famous uh, quote back in the 19th century. He said, when I am weak, I ask for justice and equality from you because those are your principles. When I am strong, I deny fairness and equality to you because that is my principle. All right, let me ask you this, Jason. A couple of questions that have come in from listeners, including uh, one of our friends from Nashville who was there with you on that day. Uh, we'll ask these just very quick 30-second uh, answers, if you don't mind. Going back to the Heafy report, which I don't think any interview or any conversation about Charlottesville, no matter what the venue, no matter who the guest, uh, is complete without a mention of the Heafy report. But the question is, how about Judge Moon calling the Heafy report inadmissible hearsay at the civil trial? Yeah, not only that, but let me add one other thing, is that they disallowed the testimony of Detective Steve Young, who did the investigation in the uh, James Field homicide case, which found that there was not only uh, no communication whatsoever between James Field and any of the organizers, you know, that no one even knew him. No one knew him. And yet they disallowed that because they want to uh, jury rig 
the perception that there was some kind of conspiracy to run people over. And, and if you polled the American public because of the effectiveness of propaganda, that's probably what the majority of just normal people think is that the people went to Charlottesville to run people over. We've got all of these arrests now happening where people are facing five years in prison for lighting a tiki torch with the intent to intimidate, apparently. Uh, So that's all happening in real time. It's going to take a while to sort that out and for it to go through the courts. I mean, of course, uh, not too long ago, we covered extensively. We spent a whole month of programming covering the Charlottesville civil trial, had a chance to listen uh, in the court. Every day on the media listen line, I listened to every word that was said as uh, as part of that trial. That civil trial is something we haven't really touched on with Jason tonight, but that was uh, certainly something. Uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with that if you're regular listeners. But, Jason, let me ask you this as we begin to run out of time. Only two minutes left. I want to thank you again for coming on with us tonight, uh, especially this time of year, especially for this uh, conversation. But what is the way forward? What is the way forward uh, for dissidents uh, in this day and age where now should we not have public protests or what, what can we do to safeguard another Charlottesville? Ha- uh, we don't want that to happen again. We don't want people to be tormented and, uh, you know, hunted down. But we also like don't want to be silenced. Been. We don't want to be silenced and we don't want to be beaten. So what is the way forward now? Especially this age where Donald Trump is going to be going to prison for about 400 years here, probably in the next year. In James Field. It's a complicated question, you know. It's often been said that, you know, who control who controls the streets controls the nation. And uh, I, I think that there is something uh, true to that. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean we need to do protests in a way that is going to entrap us. But I think that meeting in um, close-knit groups where we can speak uh, outside of the Internet and outside of uh, public is really important because right now we're putting ourselves at a strategic disadvantage by doing so much online where first of all i mean you can't speak freely when you know you're being watched by antifa and the adl and maybe Mossad, the fbi you you know even if you're speaking about big brother uh, is watching you every time you're on the internet Yes, even if you're speaking about 100% legal. Yeah, I mean, all of that's right. I mean, look, this whole thing, I talked about it with Brad Griffin. I believe it in my heart. This whole thing, not because of anything necessarily we're going to do or not do, and I certainly don't think anybody should go out and do anything illegal or advocate for it. I say that every show. This whole system is going to fall apart, and certainly within our lifetimes, I believe, but perhaps within the next couple of years. I mean, we're entering into with the blue state putting Trump in prison, the red state president. We're entering into an uh, era of American history that is absolutely unprecedented, has no parallel. And, Jason, I do believe what you said earlier. It all started, by and large, and to a certain extent, in Charlottesville. Thank you for being on with us tonight, Jason. It's always good to talk to you, and we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Uh, We have Dr. Michael Hill in the next hour, along with Ann Wilson-Smith, author of the book Charlottesville Untold, Inside Unite the Right. You just heard from Jason Kestel, the organizer. He's in the history books, folks. We'll be right back. Thank you, Jason.